Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to As a Woman, Fertility Hormones and Beyond. I'm your host, Dr. Natalie Crawford, and I am a board-certified OBGYN and fertility physician and also co-founder of Fora Fertility in Austin, Texas. Each week on this podcast, I discuss health and fertility and how they relate to your true self. Become a part of the community of collaboration that amplifies others as a woman. I hope you enjoy the episode. Hello and welcome back to the As A Woman podcast. Today we are talking about PCOS, how to know if you have it, what it is, some things I want you to know. PCOS has gotten so much attention lately, rightfully so, because I do believe the narrative for way too long is that many physicians or providers believe a patient might have PCOS, but they just put a band-aid on it or give them birth control pills or progesterone without taking the time to explain the disease. And although that may not be wrong to be on birth control or progesterone, and they may be preventing cancer, which is the worst outcome of PCOS, it is by no means really good medical care. And if you have a disease, especially a chronic disease like PCOS, you deserve to one, know, and two, understand it. And three, have a discussion about how the choices that you make every single day may impact this disease, the long-term consequences of it, and the impact on your future family. So how do you know if you have PCOS? Do you have it? That is going to be the basis of today's episode. Before we dive in, I want to talk about fertility in the news. Fertility in the news has been a segment that we've been doing the past 10 months on the As Woman podcast. Even though I have loved it, and I think it's been very fun to talk about current events with you, I also do know that it dates the episodes. And because so many of you go back and listen to episodes when you're at a moment where you need it. Maybe you don't need that IVF episode now, but you want it in three months or a year. So we've decided to take fertility in the news to the newsletter. So the news about fertility in the news is that you can check out the weekly newsletter. The newsletter includes my favorite vegan recipes, updates about different things I'm involved in, but also every single week will include something newsworthy about fertility and my take on it and answering some of your fertility questions. So we're going to keep fertility Q&A at the end of every podcast episode because I think I could record Q&A episodes the rest of my life and still not answer every question. That is just how much information is out there that we need to cover. So we will keep the last 10 to 15 minutes of every episode will be fertility Q&A. There's also questions answered on Instagram every week, and there's questions going to be answered in the newsletter. So if you're interested in signing up for the newsletter, you can go to nataliecrawfordmd.com slash newsletter. Simply enter your name and your email. Boom, you're done. We're not going to spam you. Again, it's just trying to put something in your inbox to help teach you little by little, and then to keep these episodes a little more evergreen since I know this content applies to you at different stages of your life. So ask your questions for the Q&A that will stay on the pod and in the newsletter Mondays on Instagram at Natalie Crawford MD. 
And then you can find your fertility in the news on the newsletter every week. Again, nataliecrawfordmd.com slash newsletter. So let's dive into one of your favorite topics, PCOS. PCOS, polycystic ovarian syndrome. That is the name. I don't love the name, right? Because the name gives you the idea that the cysts that are inside the ovary are the problem. And that's not really the case. So the episode is called, how do you know if you have PCOS? So how do you know? One of the top signs of having PCOS is going to be irregular periods. Now remember that irregular can mean a variety of different things. And I've had a patient tell me, my periods aren't irregular. I never have them. Well, that's an extreme version of irregular, meaning never, but I understand the nuance. So let's just go over what's normal and what's not. Normal periods occur at regular predictable intervals within a few days from each other every single month. You should be able to look at a calendar, put your finger on a date, and within reasonable confidence be within a few days of when that period begins. Really just a couple days should be ideal. Now, if you're hopping week to week, that's irregularly irregular. If you skip a month here and there, that's irregular. That's not normal. If your periods come at 60 to 90 day intervals, not normal. And if you have no periods, not normal. So the short end of periods of what we consider normal tends to be really like 24, 25 days. And the long end of what we consider normal is around 35 days. Most classic PCOS periods are long. So normal to long to skipping months to absent. It is not typical for PCOS to have a short luteal phase or to have short cycles together. But I'm a believer that everybody is unique and different. And so anything irregular gets an evaluation. Now, number one, You need to know before somebody just slaps a diagnosis of PCOS, I mean, it can be a lot of different things. So irregular periods can happen from abnormalities in the pituitary gland. PCOS is one of them, and I'm going to explain it in detail, but you can also have thyroid disease. You can have prolactin abnormalities. You can have hypothalamic amenorrhea, and then you can have chronic anovulation, obesity-induced anovulation, or really just hypothalamic dysfunction. So PCOS, by definition, is going to be diagnosed by something called the Rotterdam criteria. The Rotterdam criteria are stating that you must have two out of the following three. Number one, irregular or absent periods. Number two, signs or lab tests or, right, signs or lab tests consistent with high testosterone or high androgens. So acne, hair growth on the face, loss of hair in the like temporal areas, kind of that balding pattern. Those things count. So if you come into me with acne and irregular periods, I can give you the diagnosis of PCOS. It's kind of crazy, right? Meaning I've done no tests. I've not looked at your ovaries. And there are some other things that could cause those that are very rare, like an ovarian tumor that is making testosterone that could certainly dysregulate your period and cause you to have acne. So I always think this is a fine line, but I'm an evidence-based medicine girl. So the Rotterdam criteria, two out of three, one, irregular periods or absent periods, two, signs or lab tests of high androgens. Three, ultrasound appearance of PCO, meaning polycystic ovaries. This officially means a high antral follicle count. So, so when we talk about the cysts with PCOS, 
Let's remember the cysts are not the problem. Let's also remember that cysts are very common and normal. A cyst is simply a fluid-filled structure. That's all that cyst means. Your ovaries have cysts every day of every month because they have follicles and follicles by definition are fluid-filled structures. So those cysts that we're talking about in PCOS are actually just small antral follicles than normal follicles that somebody has, except you have a lot of them. Now, your ovary can have cysts that are functional and larger than antral follicles or non-functional. An antral follicle is a small fluid-filled follicle. It is less than 10 millimeters in size, and that is what each one has an egg. And now a word from one of our sponsors, Apostrophe. With the temperatures starting to warm up, I'm so excited the summer is around the corner and getting ready and looking forward to the summer months. But I know that when I'm outside enjoying nature, I need to pick up supplies to prepare myself for summer adventures. And if you want to get your skin glowing in time for summer, it's time for you to get started with Apostrophe, who is sponsoring this episode. Apostrophe's goal is to help you feel confident in your own skin. So whether you're dealing with breakouts, signs of aging, or acne scarring, Apostrophe will help you love the skin you're in. I personally love that you get access to an expert dermatology team, a tailored treatment plan. It's simple to sign up for your first visit, and there is no in-person appointment or trip to the pharmacy needed. We have a special deal for our audience. Get your first visit for only $5 at apostrophe.com slash A-A-W when you use our code A-A-W. That's a savings of $15. This code is only available to our listeners. To get started, just go to apostrophe.com slash AAW and click get started. Then use the code AAW at sign up and you'll get your first visit for only $5. Thank you, Apostrophe, for sponsoring this episode. And now a word from one of our sponsors, Quince. The weather's getting warmer, so it's time to say goodbye to jackets and sweaters and hello to shorts and tees. I wanted to update my wardrobe for the long haul without spending a fortune, and luckily I found Quince. Now I've got a lineup of timeless pieces that keep me looking effortlessly chic year after year. The best part is that Quince items are priced 50-80% to less than similar brands, but Quince partners directly with top factories, cutting out the cost of the middleman, passing the saving to us, and only working with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices. I personally cannot wait to wear my cute tan linen set this summer. So it's your turn to get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash A-A-W for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash A-A-W to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash A-A-W. Thank you, Quince. And now a word from one of our sponsors, Ritual. Did you know that women were excluded from clinical research policy by federal law until 1993? But women belong in scientific research. They're essential and Ritual knows this. I choose Ritual multivitamin every day because it is easy to take and I know that I am getting high quality and traceable ingredients in a clean and bioavailable forms. In fact, Ritual conducted a university-led human clinical trial for their Essential for Women 18 Plus multivitamin to assess its efficacy, and the results showed increase in vitamin D levels by 43% and omega-3 DHA levels by 41% in just 12 weeks. No my shady business. 
Ritual's Essential for Women 18 Plus is a multivitamin that you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month at ritual.com slash A-A-W. Start Ritual or add Essential for Women 18 Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash A-A-W for 25% off. Thank you, Ritual. If you've heard me talk about the menstrual cycle or ovarian reserve, I like to use the analogy. Imagine inside your ovary that there is a vault where all your eggs are kept. Each month, a group of eggs comes out of the vault. Each of those eggs grows inside a follicle. These are the antral follicles. The brain then sends out follicle-stimulating hormone, or FSH. That FSH is very well-named. That FSH then stimulates one follicle to grow. As the follicle grows, the egg inside of it matures, the follicle gets bigger. It is a larger cyst on ultrasound then. When the follicle is mature as determined by estrogen, the brain then sends out a surge of LH. That surge then allows the follicle to rupture or the cyst to burst. The egg is then released, hopefully captured by the fallopian tube, and then that cyst reforms and turns into a different type of cyst, not one that's pure fluid, but now one that has some fat and it makes progesterone. That is the corpus luteum. The corpus luteum is essential to pregnancy. It makes progesterone stimulated from the brain in fluctuating up and down fashion, responding to the LH pulses up and down from the brain in the luteal phase. If you get pregnant, the pregnancy makes HCG. HCG is the pregnancy hormone. That is the hormone that you can test on a pregnancy test. But that same HCG now is made in constant production. And now you have a constant stimulus of that corpus luteum, rescuing it, allowing it to keep making progesterone. And now it makes progesterone at a constant and higher level because it's not pulsing up and down from the brain. If there is no pregnancy... That corpus luteum can only live 12 to 14 days. It just dies. It dies. Now the progesterone level drops because that CL is not making it. When progesterone drops, that's a signal to the body to have a bleed and the cycle starts over again. So in PCOS, what is really happening is that you're having a lot of antral follicles. The official definition is more than 12 on each ovary. This will correlate with a high AMH. And even though... AMH or anti-mullerian hormone is not in those diagnostic criteria, right? They're not a part of the Rotterdam criteria. That's because the Rotterdam criteria are old, but they're not. AMH is made from the cells, the granulosa cells that surround all of the follicles. So when you have more, you have more AMH. It is directly correlated with the number of eggs that you have available. So it makes sense. That is why sometimes I will see somebody virtually and they give me the story and they have irregular periods and they have acne and they have an AMH level that's very high. I will sometimes say, hey, I haven't seen your ovaries yet. You already meet Rotterdam criteria based on your clinical history, but the AMH is telling me that with a very high degree of certainty, you're going to have those PCO ovaries on ultrasound. And the classic look of these ovaries is where you have all of these follicles on the outer portion, and then the inner portion looks a little bit more solid. 
and that might be more of the hormone-producing cells making testosterone on the inner portion of the ovary. But these follicles lined up are called a string of pearls because they almost look so close that they're touching. And that's a very classic textbook answer. So if you are in med school, you're taking a test and which ultrasound appearance would describe PCOS, it is string of pearls. But the take home is that it's due to having a lot of eggs. Now, I mean, if you're a fertility patient, you might be listening saying a lot of eggs does not sound bad, right? It's always easier to work with more than fewer. And that's true. People who have PCOS now with how we currently practice fertility medicine have a lot of different opportunities to get pregnant. Even if you can't make them ovulate with ovulation induction agents, they have a really good prognosis with IVF because IVF success is dictated by how many eggs you have and how old you are. In older IVF technology, before we could freeze all the eggs, before we did frozen transfers, before we had modern protocols, People with PCOS actually did not have great prognoses, and that is because they had a high risk of getting ovarian hyperstimulation syndrome, which made it harder to maintain a pregnancy, and they would often get triggered in IVF really early because their estrogen was getting so high, and they would get a lot of immature eggs. That's really not the case for the vast majority of people with PCOS, so that is very, very good news. Now, when you have PCOS, Just to go back to what is going on, then I'm going to go back to some of the classic story and signs that you may think about. What is really happening is you're born with a high number of eggs inside that vault. So your ovaries have a lot of eggs. That's not a terrible thing. There is dysfunction between them and how the brain sends signals. And this is likely due to the feedback mechanism. And so even though it is more complicated than I'm about to explain, the way that I'm about to explain it is very close to reality and helps it make sense and can help you understand what you can do about it. If we use the thought that you're born with a lot of eggs, one thing we do know is that if there's more eggs remaining, more eggs are available as antral follicles every month. And when there's fewer eggs remaining, fewer eggs are available every month. So if we go back to my vault analogy, again, it's an analogy. There's not an actual vault, but The other eggs, think of them as being totally microscopic, and the ones that are out of the vault are now in follicles ready to grow. So if we have our microscopic eggs in the vault, when the vault is more full or more crowded, it sends out more per month. So when you're younger, you're going to have a higher antral follicle count or a higher AMH or a higher ovarian reserve than when you are older, because as the vault gets more empty, it is now going to send out fewer eggs per month. Now, that does not mean that everybody who's young has a high number or does it mean everybody who's old has a low number. Every single person is on their own time frame, born with a different number, exposed to different things, will have a different endpoint. The end. Everybody's unique and different. So don't come at me if you're old with a high AMH. I am thrilled for you. Like very, very happy. And if you are young with a low AMH, I am sorry my heart breaks for you. It is something that likely you had no control over. More and more evidence is talking about epigenetics and the importance of what a pregnant person is exposed to on the eggs of her fetus. Wild. We know that certain exposures will predispose you to having PCOS, to even having this problem. Certain exposures will cause you to have a lower egg count. And so a lot of what we see as your ovarian reserve likely has nothing to do with anything you did. You didn't control if you got PCOS. You didn't control any of the other things. So if we think of that as your starting number, out of your control. 
the rate of decline is typically out of your control with a few caveats. Being exposed to toxins does appear to lower your egg count. We have mouse studies looking at toxins like BPA definitely showing a lowering after exposure. And we have numerous human studies showing reduced ovarian reserve with smoking cigarettes. And we have studies suggesting reduced ovarian reserve and function with marijuana and potentially other toxins as well. So those toxins that you're exposed to do play a role. So that's why we talk about limiting what you can. But if we go back to the point that you had no control over your PCOS, it is an ovarian dysfunction problem. You have a lot of eggs inside your vault. Now your brain has no idea what's happening in your ovaries. They're like best friends who live states apart and they only talk on the phone. So it cannot see that you have a lot of eggs in your vault and your brain sends out the normal signal of FSH. What that is doing is getting diluted from all of those follicles. So it's just getting spread too thin. There's not a strong enough signal to any one follicle to get ovulation to happen regularly and predictably. So what then happens is the ovary gets extremely bored. It likes to make hormones. It just does. The ovary is a hormone producing factory. It's one of my favorite phrases. And the ovary by far is my favorite endocrine organ in the body obviously. Okay. So it loves to make hormones, estrogen, hormone du jour, favorite, favorite hormone ever, but it can only make estrogen at high happy levels when you're ovulating. So when you're not, it's not making enough estrogen to stay busy. Interestingly and importantly, every small follicle does make a little bit of estrogen, but it is not high enough levels to keep you happy. So what does it do? It then starts having LH sent out and stimulating those thecal cells to make testosterone. And that feedback works awesome. So the body keeps doing it. It's making testosterone. Yay. Ovaries happy because it's making hormones. You are not happy because now you have a lot of testosterone and testosterone has a whole slew of other impacts on the body besides just acne or hair growth or hair loss. It also can impact the lining of the uterus it can also change your entire metabolic parameters. And suddenly now you have an increase in insulin resistance, an increased risk of heart disease, and metabolic syndrome overall. Testosterone and insulin resistance are also at play and change how your body distributes fat. So suddenly now you might be carrying fat in your midsection, which if we think about a very classic female body type, and I'm not here to talk about female male body types, but if we just think about it, right? The classic female body type is going to have your highest level of fat distribution on your hips and your thighs and your butt. And the classic male body type is going to have more abdominal fat distribution. So what happens is when we have this testosterone, now we're having abdominal fat carrying, even if we're thin, right? So PCOS is not just a disease of people who are overweight. Let's just take that out of our idea. So we have this FSH being sent out, getting diluted, the body then making testosterone, circling back and causing all of these other problems, which openly amplify the symptoms of PCOS. Now the eggs in the vault just don't sit there. They die if they don't get stimulated and then another group will become available. So people with PCOS are running out of eggs just at the same pace. An analogy is like birth control pills. If you're taking birth control pills, you're taking estrogen. Estrogen is preventing the brain from sending out FSH and therefore none of the eggs are growing. They all die. Next month, another group comes out. So you're not ovulating. That's the point of the pill. But in PCOS, you can get stuck in this non-ovulatory pattern. 
Now, certain things can make PCOS better and certain things can make them worse. So you might ovulate randomly or occasionally. Think of it as one month, your body sends out a lower number of eggs from the vault, and now that's enough FSH. Or one month, you're really stressed and your cortisol is high and you're not sleeping, and now you have a really long cycle. I will frequently say people with PCOS, it's like a teeter-totter of control. I do not ever say that you can cure PCOS. It's a chronic disease, but you can control it. But things will happen in your life and you'll have moments where it will be better and worse. And if you pay attention to your body, you'll be able to notice that. And then back to the fact that every small follicle does make some estrogen. This estrogen exacerbates the problem because when the brain senses that there's some estrogen present, it will not send out a strong signal of FSH. So that estrogen is inhibiting the brain from sending out a strong enough signal. This is made worse when we are overweight or have more fat cells. That is because fat cells themselves also make estrogen. So the problem is amplified if we have fat cells. And I already told you Part of the disease process is also insulin resistance and fat distribution. But when you have those fat cells making extra estrogen, think about it as an extra layer of suppression on the brain so that if you are overweight, and that's a big if, and you do lose some weight, you can lower that estrogen level, therefore taking some of the suppression off the brain, and now the body can kick in and maybe that FSH will be high enough. And that is why you might hear if you are overweight that you just need to lose weight. And even though losing weight may not be the wrong answer and may help, it is a much more complicated topic than just lose weight. So let's talk about do you have it in some classic history and just some things I want you to think about. The very classic story is going to be one of two ways. One is that you have had irregular periods since inception of having periods. They've always been irregular and you had some acne and this caused you to go to a doctor when you were young in your teenage years or early twenties and they put you on birth control pills and maybe they didn't tell you why. They probably said prevent cancer, regulate your cycles, treat your acne. None of those are lies. Those are true things. Then what happened is at some point you decided to come off the birth control pill. Now your periods maybe were okay the first month or two off, and then they started getting further and further apart. And the same time frame, you started noticing some of those androgen symptoms. Now I'm getting acne, and now I'm gaining some central weight. The birth control pill did not cause this, right? If we understand the disease, what we understand is that the birth control pill put a pause on it. It did, it did. It put a pause on it. So what started to happen was that the pill gave your body estrogen and progesterone. When you went into the sugar pill weeks, you had a progesterone withdrawal and you would bleed. That did regulate your cycle, made it lighter, and decrease the chance of you getting uterine cancer. It also increases the production of something from the liver called sex hormone binding globulin. And this bound to testosterone and lowered it so your acne went away. When you stopped the pill, your natural testosterone started to increase as one, your ovaries made more, and two, there was less sex hormone binding globulin because you didn't take the pill. And the further you got out from the pill, the worse this became. So the pill was a band-aid. 
And I'm not saying it was wrong and I'm not saying it was right. The disservice that was really done if you were given the pill without explanation is that you lost that opportunity of time to make meaningful life changes, to understand your disease and to know what you'd be up against when you wanted to get pregnant. The other thing to know is that not all bleeds with PCOS are periods. So another analogy, I know I'm use really bad ones. But another one that I like for PCOS is if we think about the uterus as a cup under a faucet and what happens normally. In a normal month, the body's growing an egg and making estrogen and that is the faucet turned on. When you ovulate, the faucet is turned off. And then when you no longer have progesterone and you have that progesterone withdrawal, now the faucet turns over, like the cup dumps out and that's your period. And then it's placed under the faucet again, and the process happens over and over. So this is happening over and over again. If we think about PCOS, imagine the cup under the faucet, and the faucet is on drip because all those little follicles are making estrogen. So the faucet's not full flow. You don't get those high levels, but it's on drip, constantly filling up. At some point, you're not ovulating, so the faucet's never turning off, and you're not getting that stimulus to have a withdrawal. But the cup will overflow, right? At some point, the cup can only hold so much. The cup will overflow. But what cells is it bleeding out? It's bleeding out the stuff that was at the top of the cup. Everything at the bottom of the cup has been there for a long time. And that is why everybody who takes care of people with PCOS will always talk about endometrial or uterine cancer. When you ask, can PCOS cause cancer? The answer is yes, it can cause endometrial cancer for the reason I just explained. And this is why you'll have doctors come in and give people progesterone or birth control pills. So a 10 day of progesterone course is essentially turning off the faucet. And then when you stop the progesterone, you're dumping out the cup. You're allowing the uterus to get a full bleed and get rid of any of those cells that have been there for a long time. And that's important because we don't want you to get cancer. Birth control pills similarly, because they're estrogen and a progesterone, that progesterone will inhibit the uterine lining from growing. And then when you stop it, you'll get a bleed. It's also okay to take the birth control pills constantly and never get a bleed. That's because you're then constantly getting exposed to progesterone, which inhibits the growth of the uterine lining in a way that would cause cancer. So just an important distinction. So you may still bleed with PCOS, but it might be darker and maybe heavy or not heavy, but it is not always a period. And then you sometimes can get a real period if you do have a random month when you do ovulate. So when you think you might have PCOS, if you have one of those histories and maybe you're on the pill right now and you say, gosh, that sounds a lot like me, I want you to stop the pill before you're ready to get pregnant, at least three to six months. Now, if you're not ready, I want you to prevent a pregnancy in another way. But the reason why I recommend people come off the pill earlier is not because it takes three to six months to get the pill out of your system. That's false. The pill has a very short half-life. That's why if you miss one single pill, you could ovulate. But it is because I need a couple months to see your real period pattern because the ovaries are going to kick back and I want to know what their real baseline is. Are they really going to make high levels of testosterone? And as those levels rise, we are going to see a difference in your period. So if you stop the pill or you're just trying to get pregnant and you're hearing these things and you think you could have PCOS, you say, gosh, I do have irregular cycles and I have some increased androgen signs, whether it's hair on your face or acne, or I have some central weight that I have a really hard time losing and I'm sensitive to things. I know that sounds crazy, but I'm sensitive to stressors. I get bloated or fatigued really easily. It can disrupt my sleep. 
certain foods have an impact on my body, these are all warning signs for part of this entire PCOS spectrum. So if you're trying to get pregnant, I do want you to see a doctor and I want us to know if it's PCOS. And part of knowing if it's PCOS is ruling out those other things, hypothalamic, thyroid, prolactin. Then if it is PCOS, depending on your age and your goals, different things may happen. I like a full fertility evaluation, meaning I want to know if your tubes are open and how is the sperm because it doesn't help you for me to make you ovulate if your tubes are blocked or if there's no sperm. You deserve to know that either way. Then we're going to talk about how can we help you medically, right? Medical options for ovulation induction. These include oral agents like Clomid or Femora, which is also called Letrozole or FSH. So Clomid and Letrozole are the cheapest options and they're typically the safest. These are pills that you take that cause your body to make more FSH. I have an entire episode on the difference like Clomid versus Letrozole, but just to talk about it, Clomid binds at the brain and causes the brain to release more FSH because it thinks there's no estrogen and letrozole decreases that peripheral estrogen and causes the brain to send out more FSH in that way. Letrozole, based on very large studies, is the drug of choice for PCOS as first-line use. There's different doses and different lengths of time you can take it. Standard is going to be for five days, but there have been studies now showing you can extend it even longer. So point being, those are the oral medications. You can give FSH directly, but there is a very high risk of having multiples or having your cycle canceled. And then you can use FSH injections in an IVF cycle and get lots of extra grow and take them out of your body. So medically, we can do those things. And you might have a reason why we jump to those. Maybe you're older or maybe you have another problem or maybe your tubes are blocked or the sperm's not great and we're going quicker to medical treatment for those reasons. However, all medical treatment is going to be augmented by lifestyle. So what do I want you to know about lifestyle? Studies show that eating more plants is going to help you ovulate. Increased servings of protein from plant-based sources over animal-based sources improved ovulation. Okay. Number two, taking supplements to combat insulin resistance can be helpful. I like to put my PCOS patients on inositol and vitamin D. They're typically vitamin D deficient. Both of those have been shown to be helpful in addition to a prenatal. And then I check for insulin resistance. And if there's evidence of that, add on metformin. So some people will ovulate with metformin alone. There've been studies proving that because metformin can improve how your body makes testosterone. It lowers it and that can improve ovulation. So in some people, metformin alone may get the job done. But it can also cause improved response to other medications. So that's my kind of initial diet lifestyle. Now, getting sleep is very important for PCOS patients. I like to think about PCOS as when the body is dealing with all of this, that we want to drop inflammation as much as possible because inflammation is stressful and your body is already stressed. It's already dealing with a lot with this extra sugar and the extra testosterone. So we want to drop that down. Sleep is when you have cellular repair. So getting sleep, consistent hours, the same hours every night, super important. Exercise. Now, ideally for most people, I recommend a more moderate paced, but consistent exercise, resistance training with weights, some yoga, and some light cardio. There have been studies looking at high intensity interval training, and this has been a big debate in the PCOS community and in people who were overweight with PCOS, doing HIT helped them lose weight faster, and then they ovulated because they lost weight. But it is not 
a great treatment strategy in my mind for everybody. And if you're not overweight, then I don't really recommend that because I do believe that high intensity intervals is overall stressful for the body. So think about your cortisol as being something that you're really sensitive to. So try to lean in to moving your body, improving that lean muscle mass. And if you're trying to lose weight, then HIIT may be a good option. But otherwise, something more sustainable is moderate activity resistance training with weights. Now, what about diet and keto? I already said about this plant-based stuff being better or more plants. Keto has been shown to help people lose weight rapidly. Anything that can help you lose weight if you are overweight can help you ovulate, as we already said. When we look at what diets are best for PCOS, consistently those with a lot of plants is going to be good. It doesn't mean you have to be 100% plant-based like me. I'm not telling you everybody has to be plant-based, but one that has a lot of plants, that's going to be great. And then looking at the other things you're consuming, limiting sugar, limiting processed foods, those are highly inflammatory, and then trying to determine if you are sensitive to dairy or gluten. No study has shown eliminating dairy. And in fact, a very large study showed that whole fat dairy was much better than low fat. So I always say if you can tolerate dairy without GI dysfunction, that's a sign of inflammation. If you can tolerate it without that, then do the whole fat stuff. Don't get the low fat, do the real deal. So if you're one of my PCOS patients, you're going to hear me give you this following diet. This is Natalie's PCOS diet. Okay. Dr. Crawford's diet. This is not in a study, but this is my version of looking at all the evidence and what I think is the best for my patients. And this is what I tell them. Meatless Monday. Monday, you're not going to have any meat. Okay, you're going to figure it out otherwise. Your other days of the week, you're going to have meat one serving a day. So you choose which serving it is. I'm thinking of animal flesh as meat, meaning like eggs and dairy and butter are not counting just for clarification. So then you're going to have animal meat one time per day, and you're going to make red meat only one of those servings per week. You're going to not have sugar or processed foods except on special occasions. If it is your birthday, if it is Christmas, if you're a guest at a wedding, oh my gosh, please celebrate. We are going to treat our body kindly the majority of the days so that on those other days you can celebrate life and not feel guilty or bad about it and not have to worry about the consequence on your body. So that is my plan in a nutshell. Moderate activity daily for 30 minutes. You're going to get outside, take a walk with the birds. You're going to get seven to eight hours of consistent sleep the same time every night. You're going to look at your diet and what you're eating. You're going to take some supplements and you're going to avoid toxins. Smoking cigarettes, marijuana, those are no, I recommend no alcohol but less than four drinks per week at least. Studies definitely show a difference if you're drinking more than that. Now, these things are going to make your body function better and feel better. They will not make everybody ovulate. There is no amount of healthy eating or good lifestyle choices that will overcome for every single person if one of your endocrine organs is not working. So please do not have self-blame if you are listening and you're doing all of those things. Good. You're doing the best you can. You are controlling every variable you can control, and this is going to help you. This will make you respond better to any treatment we do. This will make it easier for you to respond to less intensive treatment. It'll make it better if you need to do IVF, that you'll have a good outcome. And that is what you can do. You can't help it if you have PCOS, but you can look at the world that you have and control some of those other variables. So if you are listening and you're wondering if you have PCOS, 
Please, please, please do not sit and suffer in silence. Please do not watch your body have irregular or absent periods for a year before you go see a doctor. The recommendation to wait a year to see somebody is if you're under age 35 and you have regular predictable cycles. If you have irregular cycles, you already know something is up. And most people with PCOS will need some level of medical intervention. That doesn't mean that everything else is not important. It is, but I don't want you to delay seeking care. And then please remember about a third of all couples have two things going on. So just because your periods are irregular does not mean that your partner, if they have sperm, is perfectly fine and that they don't have an issue also. So really we have to take everything as a whole. PCOS is hard. I love seeing so many people who are talking about healthy habits, helping give you meal recipes and diet plans for PCOS and or help coaching you through this. I do not like people who are predatory, who are selling you PCOS cleanses, who are telling you that the birth control pill caused your PCOS, or who are guaranteeing that you will get pregnant if you make lifestyle choices. They are predators. That's the easiest way to say it, and you deserve better than that. This episode has gone a really long time, you guys, so we are not going to do Q&A in it, but I swear we'll do it very soon. So remember that every Monday on Instagram at Natalie Crawford MD, you can ask your fertility questions. We answer them on the podcast, and we also will answer them on the newsletter and on Instagram. You can sign up for that weekly newsletter to see questions answered and the fertility in the news, nataliecrawfordmd.com slash newsletter. And if some of this resonated with you talking about lifestyle, I do have the Enhance Your Natural Fertility course. It is an investment in yourself. You get in-depth modules talking about how the body works works, a lot more details about these lifestyle interventions. And then my favorite is we get to be best buds. So you get to be in the Facebook group with almost 300 of your closest friends as they're navigating through fertility journeys, asking your questions, trying to understand why things are being recommended for you. And then also we have monthly Q&A calls and I just cannot tell you how great it's been to get to know people and help them in a more personal way. If you're in Austin, you can always see me as a patient at Fora Fertility and you can find us on forafertility.com. Guys, I hope this episode helped you. Please share. Remember to leave a review for the podcast. I don't think I've asked for that in a really long time, but it means a lot. And I do have a YouTube channel, tons of educational videos, even as I was explaining this episode in words. There were so many times I wish I could just pop up a picture. And if you wish that to come over to YouTube, we have over a hundred thousand subscribers. It's just Natalie Crawford MD. You'll find it. Thank you all for listening to As a Woman. It would mean so much if you could rate, review, and follow the podcast to be notified of new episodes every Sunday. I hope you learned something new and I hope you share it with someone in your life. Be sure to follow along on Instagram at Natalie Crawford MD and check out the YouTube channel, Natalie Crawford MD. If you're interested in becoming a patient, you can also follow Fora Fertility. I'm so thrilled to have you here, part of the community that amplifies others as a woman.